Well, thank you, worship team. Man, I love that song. Um, let's just play that every week, Jake. You know, <laughs> great stuff. What a powerful name, and that's why we're here, isn't it? And just celebrating that powerful name. Well, hey, if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name's Brad. I'm the lead pastor and one of the teaching pastors here at Crossbridge, and I get the honor to actually kick off this brand new series uh, called "Curse: The Curse of Comfort." And we've been planning this. Uh, all year long, and we've been excited about it. Can't wait to, to get here. And, and here, here we are. And I, I'm just tell, I, I just need to be honest with you. I'm feeling pretty good today. I, I am feeling um, just confident and a, a little bit better than normal on stage today because um, I feel really comfortable here today. And does anybody know why I'm feeling more comfortable than usual today? Huh? Anybody? My, <laughs> wow. Wow. I, I am wearing my very favorite pair of pants that I own right now, okay? This is it. And they are so, yeah, I am so comfortable right now. It is, it is awesome. And here, I have not worn these pants on. I used to wear them all the time when I taught because they were comfortable. And I used to wear them every, every Sunday I taught, and uh, I haven't worn them for about three years. And, and the reason is because I was told by someone that they were not in style anymore, Okay? In case you're wondering, these are carpenter pants, all right? And, and, and I happen to love them. Barb loves them because when she, we're walking side by side, she puts her little hand in here, and, and we walk along, and it's just so, it's, I know, isn't it cute? Huh? And, and I used to wear reader glasses before my eyes got really bad, and I could put my glasses in the pocket here, and I always knew where they were. And they're just so comfortable. I, I, and then this, this person um, said, you know, you just can't wear those on stage anymore. You, they're, you're not relevant. You're... you're you're, you're, basically said you're pathetic. I don't think they use that word, but it, that's what it meant. And, and said, you know, you're, just, you're out of style. You can't wear them anymore. And, I, you know, far be it for me to throw anybody under the bus, but her initials are Kim Chitwood. And, um, <laughs> and said, no, you can't do that anymore. And so I kind of walked away dejected and depressed a little bit. And the real sad thing was there was another Crossbridger standing beside her. Because I, I said, you know, in my generation, these were it. I mean, you know, this is... You could wear carpenter pants. These were cool. <laughs> and the person next to her said, yeah, well, in my generation, parachute pants used to be cool, and they're comfortable. You don't see me wearing those anymore. <laughs> wow. So, so here I am in my most comfortable jeans that you'll never see again probably, but I love, <laughs> I love being comfortable. And one of the first things I do whenever I, I leave here and, and, and go home, whether it be 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 4 o'clock, I put on my flannel pants. I have flannel pajama pants. No matter what season it is, I wear those because they're very comfortable. Um, people look at me strange when I'm walking the dogs at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm wearing my flannel pants. Um, I, this is just, just what I do. I, matter of fact, I'll leave here and go watch football in flannel pants. Now, Barb loves pajamas. She's got all kinds of pajamas. She lives for pajamas. She actually bought a, bought a pair of pajamas in Bucky's. And, <laughs> yeah. And um, so anywhere we go, the first thing she goes to is goes to look for pajamas. She wears pajamas all the time. You'll actually see her out shopping, and not just at Walmart, because that's where you expect it. Um, sorry, I couldn't help it. But <laughs> so, yeah. And, and so, yeah, it's just, you know, we love to be comfortable, don't we? And I don't know what your thing is. Maybe it's t-shirts, maybe whatever. You have your favorite thing that you wear that's, that's very comfortable. Maybe you have your favorite recliner. Those are always good. One of the things I love that I, I, I have um, is I have a heated steering wheel in my car, and it's awesome, you know? It, and we're getting to that season where I'll, I'll turn it on, and, and it's just so, oh, it's, it's awesome, you know? It's, just, it's very, very comfortable. And 
And, and here's, the, here's the thing is we all love, we probably all have our things about comfort, right? And we love our comfort. But if we're going to be comfortable, it's probably going to cost you something, you know? Maybe your favorite recliner, and I've just got one of those old recliners, those recliners that you have to actually push yourself up. And maybe you've got one of those fancy, you know, motorized, you know, that actually gets you out of, oh, those are awesome. You know, the heated steering wheel, that comes with some cost. I actually had somebody say, you know, oh, we've got air-conditioned seats. <laughs> but yeah, you know, that doesn't come on your average Yugo, if you know what I'm saying. No one knows what a Yugo is. Only the old people over here laughed. <laughs> they had no, I just wanted to test it, you know. I just wanted to see. Do you, do you know what a Yugo is? Okay, so, okay, there you go. Anyway, <laughs> just talk amongst yourself. It's going to be great. Oh, man, I tell you. But it does. It costs you something. And here's the, here's the situation. Um, we love being comfortable so much that sometimes that can carry over into our spiritual life. And we weren't made to be comfortable in our spiritual life. You know, we sometimes just like our spiritual life to be as easy and comfortable as we can. We don't want to, you know, we want to have a part of that, but we won't, don't want to get too invested. We don't want to get too involved. We don't want to, you know, volunteer too much. We don't want to give too much. We don't want to do this too much. We just want it kind of comfortable and easy if we can. But we weren't designed for that. And if you get comfortable in your spiritual life, that is also going to cost you something. It's going to cost you making an impact. It's going to cost you living out the, the, the thing that God has designed you for and wired you for to make the most impact, to make the most difference in someone's life. If we get too comfortable in our spiritual life, if we're not always looking for the next thing that God is calling us to do, we can get to a point that we are ineffective at all and we don't do anything. We don't make a difference in our, in our lives and I don't think that's what we want. But it's understandable because we want to avoid conflict. We want to avoid risk. We want to avoid pain in our lives. We just want to make it as easy as we can. But the thing about comfort is there's this God-given emptiness inside of us that, that knows that we are made for more, that we're, ma know that we're made to make a difference. And if we don't find out what that is, then we're always searching and trying to fill it with something else, and we cannot fill it with anything else but what God has called us individually to do. And so as we get more and more comfortable, man, we, we tend to shrink. We don't grow. The challenges, you know, it may be easy, but we don't get to take the next steps. We don't get to, 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 to make things better in our lives. Being challenged is, is good for us. And we see this all the time when we just get comfortable. You know, your significant other, my guess is when you first started seeing each other or started dating or, or, or just being together, you, you, you just try to surprise each other. You try to do different things. You try to make, keep, keep things exciting. There was always a, a challenge or something inside. Maybe guys, you go open the doors all the time. You know, we just kept it, maybe not. <laughs> but, but we tried to keep it exciting as we can. And then we start getting comfortable with each other and things just kind of fall to the side, and we get comfortable in our relationships, and it doesn't go well. And so we just have to be careful and understand. We do it in our jobs also. You know, we get comfortable. We're so excited when we start this new job, and then it just kind of starts waning. And my guess is that we can all relate on some level to that, that we strive for all this comfort, and we know there's areas in our lives that comfort has taken over what we've done and what we are doing. But we didn't start that way. We, we had it exciting. You know, life was an adventure at one point. When we were young, we took risks. We didn't care what other people said or, or, or whatever. And, and, and we would take these risks and challenges, and then we get more comfortable the older we get and, and don't want to wait, you know, rock the boat too much. When's the last time you've attempted something that you failed at? 
You know, we used to take risks, and if we fail, it'd be no big deal. We'd just pick ourselves up, and we'd go on again, and it would challenge us, it would grow us. But we get to a point that now we're starting to live such a safe life that we don't, we don't make any kind of difference whatsoever. What are we doing that if God doesn't show up, what dream do we have? What things are we being challenged for in our spiritual life that if God doesn't show up, we look like a fool? I think we get to a point that we just are doing so much on our own that we know that we can accomplish it, and we're not stretching ourselves. And so today I want to start off by looking at a Bible character that probably all of you know. His name is David. And if you think about David, the first thing that comes to mind probably is this, this mighty warrior that he, he killed the giant. He was a giant killer. He was an amazing individual to go out and, 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 and battle, and he'd win all kinds of wars. You know, he, he was a man after God's own heart. He had all kinds of character and integrity. And those are all true, but all those things happened in the early part of his life, really his first 30 years of life. He was, he was, he was known that, of someone who pursued God. He was known as the giant killer. He was known as a man of character. As King Saul was out to try to kill him, he actually had two opportunities to, to, to kill King Saul, but he has, had so much integrity, so much character, he said, no, that is not what God wants, and I'm going to do what God wants instead. But then you look later in... in in David's life, and, and things started to fall apart. It, it was known as compromise, and he had scandals, actually had fear in his lives. We have to ask ourselves, what had changed? What happened to David that now all of a sudden his life is compromised, and, and he's got this other stuff going on? And I would argue that it started happening when David moved into the palace. God had used him out here in all these uncomfortable situations, places where he didn't even know if he was going to be able to survive or not, and he gets to a point that God has, has prepared him. He moves him into this palace where he's got all this comfort, all this luxury, man, and he brings in, and, and, and all of a sudden his life starts to look differently than what it did in the first part of his life. He starts making a, a series of missteps and compromises that cost him dearly, and I think it's some of the same ones that cost us today. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, when King David was settled into his palace. It gives you this picture that he settled in. You know, Hoover the Mover has just unloaded all of his stuff. That was free, Tad. Okay, I'm not going to charge you for that one. But he comes in and, and, and gets all of his belongings in here, and he's looking around. He's got settled in, man. He's making sure he's comfortable. He's got this TV exactly where he wants it. You know, he's got his, his Barca lounger right there. You don't even know what those are, but there he is. And, and he's starting to live in comfort. He's got servants to, to make him meals and feed him and all these kind of things. He's settled in the palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies. The king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in this beautiful cedar palace. He's looking around saying, look at the luxury I'm living in. Look at this amazing place that I'm in. But here's God out somewhere else. And he says, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. And see, understand that in, in those days that the ark would, would go into battles in different areas and different, they'd put up this tent. And, and, and it's where God would meet with the Israelite nation. It was known as his presence there. And David says, there's something wrong. As I'm living here in luxury, and here's the ark going from place to place. And Nathan says, Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Listen to this in verse 4. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. 
I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Here is David, a man after God's own heart, that we would say if anybody was in the center of the will of God, it would be David. He knew him intimately. God actually calls him and says that he's a man after my own heart. And here is God saying, whoa, 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 David, hold on a second. Did I tell you to build me a temple? Did I ask you to do this? See, what you're doing, David, is you are building something I have never called you to build. And I think we have to ask ourselves, are we building something that God has never called us to build? What is it that I am building in my life that God's never called me to build? What is it in your life that God has never called you to build, but man, we are slaving and we are working and we're doing everything we can to do that? It's a scary question because we are all building something. We are all in the process of looking at our lives, looking at our families and sending them in a direction. And there's nothing wrong with, with saying, hey, I've got, I want to go this direction, but what are we building it on? Has God called us to do what we are doing. And then what we do in, this, in the culture we are in is we look around and see what everybody else is building, see what everybody else is doing, and we start duplicating that, and we start looking and saying, well, if they're building that, then that's what I need to do. And we start thinking in a, in a process that, that takes us down some of the, the most scary and wrong paths. And the other thing that we do is, is we start building something that we want, and we hope that God is happy with it. And as I think back in my life and I, I look at the things that I've built, the things that I have started to, to process and, and, and go in direction of and chase these goals and chase these dreams of mine, and I, I would start building something and I would get halfway in and I'd say, okay, God, here's what I'm doing. Look, would you bless this? How arrogant of me. That is not the place to start. We build stuff all the time that God has not called us to build. And as we look at our lives today, I think some of us are, are, are trying to build a secure life, this, this life that, man, is just easy and, and it's, 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 it's got the security built in, whether it be when our, our finances, our kids, and we try to bubble wrap our kids and keep them all nice and safe. We don't want them to have the challenges of life where, you know, life beats them up a little bit because we want to keep them safe as we possibly can, but yet they're not growing and they're not learning because we're doing it all for them. We're doing everything we can to build a secure life. Maybe for some of us, I, I call it a YOLO life. I don't even know if that term is used anymore. Is it YOLO? For a while, that's all I heard was YOLO. You only live once, you know? It is. I, in my generation, it was if it feels good, do it, you know? Or, or now, you know, you may say, say just be you. Do, you do you. Or maybe even this dangerous thing of, well, just follow your heart. When Scripture tells us your heart, above all things, is deceitful. And we start living this whole thing of, man, you know what? I'm just going to go out and live life, man. I'm going to get it all done. I'm going to have fun while I can because you never know what's going to happen. And, man, your Instagram feeds look great with all these things you're doing. People are envious of your life. But there's still something missing. And then sometimes we're building a selfish life. We don't like to think of it that way, and we don't want to call it that way, but everything we do is all about us and making us happy or making us to the next level or whatever. It's not about others. It's not about other people. It's not about building into something else. It's what can I get out of this? 
I mean, I don't want to do too much. I don't want to, you know, I've got to keep my, my calendar op open so that I can do things for me instead of doing it for somebody else. And we start becoming this selfish person, and everything is about what is in it for me. And then some of us are building a successful life. And I don't know what it is for you as you look around. I want to be successful, and I'm not going to be successful until I live in this place. I'm not going to be successful until I drive this kind of car. I'm not going to be successful until my 401K reaches us. I'm not going to be successful until my retirement is at a such a place. I don't know what it is for you, but my guess is most of us can fill in this blank. I don't feel like I'm going to be successful until I have or have accomplished blank. Fill in the blank. I don't know what it is for you. But we're going in our own direction and building that. We won't be happy until we have this. And all of us do this. There's probably sections of any of that that we can say, yeah, that's been me. I have, I'll own that. that. I have done that. It's there. And here's the, the thing is that most of us are, are building these things, and it's not out of bad intention. We have all the, all the good intention at all. David's intention was actually good. He actually thought, you know, this is what I should do. This is where I am, so I should do this for God. He thought it was God honoring. Your intention is good. You want to provide the best for your family. You want to give them opportunities that, that, that they've never had before, maybe that you didn't have. And so our intention is good, but the deal is that it's just not what God is calling us to build. And I would say that what we're doing is we're building on the wrong foundation. It's our plan instead of God's plan. We're back to building our own life and building our own, our own situation, building our, our, our own family, and, and this is my plan, God. Would you go bless it? Instead of saying, God, what is it you have for me? What is it you have for my family? What is it? You have it all. You own it all. It's yours. Where do I go? Listen to this verse, Jesus speaking, John 10, 10. Jesus himself says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus is saying, man, if you follow me, you're going to have a full life. Isn't that what we want? Doesn't that sound refreshing and sound good? But my question is, does that describe us? Does it describe you and the life that you're living? Is your life, would you consider your life full? And I'm wondering if many of us are just sitting here and we're just tired because of the things that we're chasing, tired because of our schedule. And we're looking and saying, oh, this week I gotta be here at this place and this place and this place. I gotta run my kids here. I got work meetings, I got this. And we look at our schedule and there's just no room and, and we're just tired. And it doesn't seem like the full life that we are called to live. Are you tired? Are you scared? Are you fearful? Are you fearful? And if that is the case, if that describes you, there's something out of whack in your life. God wants you to make, have your life make an impact. He wants, it, he wants you to make a difference with those around you. Will it be as comfortable as, as you think? Probably not. It may challenge you. It may scare you. It may put you out of your comfort zone. But I'm telling you, it's the only way. It's how we are called to live as followers of Jesus. So instead of building what our culture says we need to build, what we need to do is build what God honors, what God wants us to what are you risking for God right now? What is it in your life that you are actually risking that, that you're saying, you know, I'm going to have to give up some of my comfort over here to do what God is calling me to do over here? And I think we have to ask our, our, ourselves also this question is, are we operating our lives out of faith? 
Are what we're doing or what we're trying to accomplish or what we're trying to build our lives for out of faith or is it just because we are, we are doing what the obvious is? We're doing what, what easy is. Are we operating what is seen? That if we take God out of it, we're going to accomplish it anyway. Are we operating our lives on faith? And I love this. If God answered every prayer that you prayed this last week, whose lives would be changed? What would be different? My guess is it'd be yours and your family's. And I think God is calling us for much more than that. Who's benefiting from what we're doing? Who's benefiting from the life that we are living? I want to read you some scripture out of Hebrews chapter 11. It's one of my favorite chapters in, in all of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. With this thought behind it, am I living out of faith or am I living out of what is seen? The writer says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without trusting on him for everything. It's impossible to please God without putting him first and saying, God, whatever it is you want, I'm going to trust in you. I'm not going to trust in me. I'm not going to trust in the things of this world. I'm going to trust in what you are calling me to. I'm going to trust in the life that you have for me. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Seek him. It's not faith in our jobs. It's not faith in our families. It's not faith in our, 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 our pocketbooks, our, our savings. It's faith in God, what he is there. And then the writer goes on. He starts talking about these great people of faith. And he talks about Noah who was called to build this, this boat in the middle of nowhere. It hasn't rained. Everybody's making fun of him. But Noah says, God, if you call me to do it, that's what I'm going to build. And he starts building this ark. And then he goes on and talks about Abraham, who God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I need you to leave your comfort of your home. I want you to leave your country. I want you to go and do something else. Well, where am I going? I'm not telling you. It's hard to get on board, isn't it? What's Abraham do? He packs up everything, packs up his family, and he leaves. He lives the pla- leaves the place he knows. He leaves the place that he's grown up in. He knows his place of com- leaves his place of comfort to go where God is calling him to go. And then he talks about Sarah, who is barren in an old age, and it's going to take a lot of faith for her to understand that she's going to have a child. And then the writer goes on in verse 13. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. Do you get what that says? Is that they were building God's plan for them. They were building in, in God's, what God had planned for their lives, and they didn't even get to see it. And how many times are we praying, or are we wanting to build something, as, and we're okay with it as long as we see the results? As long as we get to the end and we see what God was trying to do. It says that these people never saw it, but they still welcomed it. Are we willing to get into that kind of mindset? And here's the kicker. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. They had this understanding that this, this life, what I'm trying to build here, doesn't matter. I'm a foreigner here. I do not belong here. It's not what God has wired me for. Verse 14, obviously people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, their earthly homes, they could have gone back there. They could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly 
homeland. They did not let the things of this world, they did not let the comfort of this world, they did not let the things that, that they wanted to do, that they saw their neighbors accomplishing, that, that, that everybody else was chasing, that was not important to them. They said, I've got something else. I've got something else that God is calling me to. There's a home out here somewhere. And even if I don't see the results of all of, my, of the things I'm going to do, I'm going to stay focused because God is calling me this, and I'm going to look at the future of my heavenly home. And then this next line Every time I read it, it blows me away. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. And I had to ask myself this question. With what I am doing, with where I am heading, can God say that he is not ashamed of me? That he is not ashamed to be called my God? as he looks at my life and he picks it apart and sees what I'm doing. See, all these people said, I'm not going to go with comfort, man. I'm going to do whatever God calls me to do. And I think what happens is we need a, <clears throat> we just need a perspective change. We need to change our perspective of, of, of what we're living for, why we're here, what it is. And I, I did this illustration several years ago, and Jordan's going to help me here. And, and I don't know if you remember or not. Maybe you weren't here. I don't know. Maybe you've seen it somewhere else. So just go that way. I feel like I'm skiing again, you know? And this rope is, is going to kind of be a, a timeline, all right? Oh, oh, look at that. came right out. All right. We may need some help holding that up. There you go. All right. This is a timeline, all right? It's going to be a long time holding that up, so good luck. All right. So... <laughs> You got this. All right. So there's a timeline, all right? And way back over here, okay, this is where we're going to say, we're going to start with where God created the heavens and the earth, back in Genesis, right there, okay? And he creates heaven and earth. And whether you think that was 6,000 years ago or 4.5 billion years ago, I don't care. I'll probably get emails on that, but that's okay. So... Things happen, and all of this time comes along, and we got all these things, and Noah, and Abraham, and Sarah, and, and all these people of great faith, and it keeps on going, and all of a sudden, we get to right here. And what that little red line right there signifies is your life, that you were born right here, okay? And, and I wanted to make it a little bit longer, because, you know, I'm getting kind of up in here, the ages. And, and so let's just say, let's just say that this is, 89 and a half right now. It might change later on because, you know, I'm getting closer and closer there. But let's just say that you're going to live a good long life, 89 and a half years, and here we are. And this is us. And we're born here. And we're thinking of all the things that we've got to accomplish and all the things we've got to do and all the things we prepare ourselves for all during this whole time. And we get so concerned of everything that's going on on this earth, in our cities, in our world, in our families, that it's all right here. And we are forgetting about all of this time. Here. That's where we're going to spend it. We're going to spend a heck of a lot more time down this way than we are this way. And then we start looking at our children. And we think about what are we preparing them for? Are we preparing them for this? Or are we preparing them for this? And what's more important? And we think of the times and the hours we go out there and we, we throw a ball with them and we dribble a ball with them and we 
set at the table and help them with their homework and all these things, preparing them so they can be successful, so they can do all these things in here. And I'm wondering, are we spending that much time and that much effort and that much energy preparing them for this? And this has really struck home with me as of late. As I look at where we're heading, as a culture, as a church, and all the things we're doing, and I'm wondering, are we more concerned with this time, or are we more concerned with all of this time? And just for me personally, as of late, I, you know, because I'm, I'm a little farther along in the red tape than most of you, okay? And I see this end coming, and I'm starting to think about what's important to me. And I look at my kids, and I'm wondering, what did I prepare them for? And I look at my kids, and I look at my grandkids now, and the only thing that's important for me is this. Because no matter what, I'm only going to spend this much time with them, and I want them, I want to spend this much time with them. And you know what? Their SAT scores and their batting averages and how many points they scored in that last game doesn't matter to me anymore. Are they prepared for this? What are we preparing? Ourselves, our families, and our kids, and those around us for living for this or living for this. And it's scary, and it's humbling, and my guess is that there's some changes that need to be made. Because you were made for more than this world. And our children and our grandchildren were made for more than this world. And I need you to ask yourself, what am I honestly preparing them for? Because I'm afraid that we are building on the wrong foundation. We are building on our plans and we're not building on God's plans because we are chasing this thing of comfort. And when we chase comfort, it becomes a curse. And it costs us in the most significant way ever imaginable. And we can't head that way. I want to end today with this, this verse out of Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to take communion here as a family here in just a little bit. But this verse, as I found it this week, really struck home with me. Here's what it says. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. And I had to ask myself when I read this, what am I setting my sights on? Am I setting my sights on things of this world? Am I setting my sights on where I live, what I drive, all these other things? Or am I setting my sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand? Think about things of heaven, not things of this earth. And as I look back, and my guess is with many of us, we are thinking about the job, we are thinking about success, we are thinking about all of these things, but we're not thinking about things of heaven as much. For you died to this life. And, and I don't want to be a, a downer here and, and just pro, say this to everybody here. We have died to this life. That means the things of this earth, the things of this world, the things that we're trying to accomplish don't mean anything to those who are following Jesus. When we set our lives to Jesus, we're going to follow Jesus. We die to everything around us. 
It's not about us. It's not about success. It's not about the things we have. It's about what God is calling us to do. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, I love that picture. When Christ is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. And we understandably build lives that are safe and predictable and comfortable. And what happens is we get to a point that we have everything we need. We look at our comfort, just like David in the palace, and we look at all these things, and, and, and things are pretty good. Things, life is good. We got, a, we got money in the bank. We're driving a nice car. We're living in a nice house. Our kids are successful. Our kids are doing great. And we don't need God. Because everything's going on pretty good. Because of comfort. Is that where we want to hang out? Is that where we want to live? So my question to all of us, including myself, is what kind of life are you building? Whose kingdom are you building? Are you building your kingdom? Or are you building God's kingdom? And so I want to give you a very simple, easy next step to start this week. You can start tomorrow morning as you wake up and before your feet hit the bed, hit the floor. I just want you to put your hands out and say, God, I surrender to you today. Today is about building what you want, not building what I want. Because God, I know what's gonna happen is I'm gonna get out in the workforce, I'm gonna take my kids to school, I'm gonna do all these things, and all of a sudden it's gonna be about building my world instead of yours. So God, I want you just to remind me all through the day that I am building your kingdom, I'm not building my kingdom. And help me to rearrange my schedule to reflect that. And for some of us, some of you, it means we need to rearrange our schedule. Because we are building our kingdom so much that we don't have time to build God's kingdom. His kingdom first. We have this opportunity like never before to change our families, our world, and impact them for eternity. That's what we're here for. And so we're going to take communion together in just a minute. And here's what I would ask you. Maybe God has laid something on your heart that you just need to surrender. Maybe you realize that there's areas in your life that you are building your kingdom, that you are building your plans rather than God's plan. You are building something that God has never asked you to build. And in the Old Testament, People would come to the altar and they would sacrifice something. They would sacrifice a lamb. They would sacrifice a bird. They would sacrifice something and saying, God, I'm sacrificing this to you. I'm giving this up. And today, as you come to get the elements, I would ask you, what is God asking you to sacrifice in your lives? And it may be hard because you have put a lot of time and a lot of effort into it. What are you willing to sacrifice to build his kingdom first as you come we're going to sing this song what he's done and it's an amazing song so as you come and reflect and you give these things up to God I just want these words to wash over you because God has paid the ultimate price to have a relationship with you he's given up his life so that you can have life so you can live life in the full easy maybe not it might even get harder 
but that's okay because you will never be more alive if you're living full on, full throttle for Jesus and finding the center of his will in your life, what he has called you to do uniquely that no one else can fulfill that role except for you. That's who you are in Christ. And he gave up his life so that you could do that. So as you come today, get the elements and then we'll take communion together here in just a second.
is done. I praise God for what He's done. We praise God for what He's done. You know, and we don't take taking communion around here lightly. It's a representation. It's remembering what Jesus did. The price that He paid for each and every one of us so we could have a relationship with Him to take everything that we've ever done wrong, everything that we ever will do wrong, and pay the penalty, the one that we deserved for us. We praise God for that. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me, and we remember. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. That Jesus was going to do something brand new. It was not going to be the same old way. Everything changed from that moment. An agreement confirmed with my blood, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Would you pray with me? Father God, We are so humbled that you would choose to use people like us to reach a lost world. Would you help us to love the way that you love? Father God, for those things in our lives that we just confess that we are building that you've never called us to build, would you forgive us? God, would you help us wake up every morning and before we start our day, just ask and be aware that your presence is with us and that you are helping us to see what you want us to build and help us to build that relentlessly and passionately like never before. And we are going to watch you change lives. We're going to watch communities change. We're going to watch the nation change, the world change, all because of what you did on a cross. And we remember. We ask all these things in the precious, amazing name of Jesus. And you will get the glory for it, not us. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing this song one more time. What he did. Understand and know. And let's sing it like we mean it.